A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode about the Navardic Yeshiva movement has been dedicated uh, in honor of Yeshiva Farakoway and the Rosh Yeshiva Rabbi Achil Per, a scion of Navardic who continues to educate in the legacy and spirit of the Navardic Yeshiva. So that's the uh, generous sponsor of today, anonymous generous sponsor. Um, and uh, oh, this episode about Navardic is going to be a, an overview, an overview of the entire Navardic Yeshiva movement. Um, eventually, we need to have some more focused episodes on the Altar of Navardic himself, or Yosef Yezel Horowitz, the educational per- approach and the Musser philosophy of the Navardic Yeshiva movement, um, Navardic as a movement in Russia before World War One and during World War One, and then an interwar uh, Poland, and then the attempts and uh, and and unsuccessful attempts for the most part at rebuilding uh, post-war. Um, students of the Navardic Yeshiva, uh, the literature that has been written about it, some rich uh, writings that have been uh, authored about it, memoirs and and uh, other uh, uh, literature has been written about it, and of course different branches of the Yeshiva, post-war also. So we'll have to get around to have eventually to the to cover the entire story of the Navardic Yeshiva. We'll, we'll, um, we'll have to get back to it. Um, this, this one will just be a a brief overview, in fact, is connected um, to some current events. First and foremost, I just returned from a very successful trip of Morocco, a wonderful group, a great trip, and Morocco was a fascinating country. And uh, pretty much the, um, one, of the, one of the only successful post-war rebuilding of the Navardic Yeshiva movement was in France by one of the prime students of the Altar of Navardic by the name of Reb Gershon Liebman, and his students through the decades were primarily Moroccan students who came from Morocco to France to study in his Or Yosef uh, institutions and yeshivas, and he built himself an empire of of the of Torah uh, institutions in the Navardic approach, and that was with Moroccan yeshiva students. Ironically, um, that was the rebuilding of Navardic post-war in France. So that's one connection. Also, in light of current events, that uh, Sarah Netanyahu and her husband are uh, 
um, you know, terminating their residence on Balfour Street. So it's worth mentioning that her father, Sarah Netanyahu's father, Shmuel Ben Artsi, was a Navardiker student who had studied in the Navardic Yeshiva in Mizrich uh, before the war. And he actually wrote about it in his, in his memoirs. He wrote quite extensively about it, a very rich description of, um, uh, uh, of, the, of the Navardic uh, Yeshiva style, based somewhat based, not, not exactly as a memoir, but or as, a, as, as a, a work of literature, but a, based on his experiences in Navardic. And interestingly enough, he himself, Shmuelman Artsy, returned to religious observance towards the end of his life. Uh, in his later years. Either way, so we get to um, the Navardic Yeshiva. So in 1896, the altar of Navardic, Rabbi Yosef Yaisel Horovitz, opens the Yeshiva in the town of Navardic, which is known as Novogrudok. Um, and it's Novogrudok is, is a prominent town in, in today in Belarus, and it was in the Russian Empire, and a central town several thousand Jews living there, it was not a small little shtetl, it was at least, it could be considered medium size, if not even a, a small city, and um, he himself was a fascinating personality, and the story of the yeshiva and how the Musser uh, style approach of the yeshiva developed is definitely intertwined with the personality and the fiery, dynamic leadership personality of the altar of Navardic himself, uh, he really shaped it uh, based on his his own image, his own uh, um, approach, and it very much took the personality of its founder. Coincidentally, the organized opposition to the Musser movement, what came to be known as the Pulmus HaMusser, um, commenced soon after the founding of the yeshiva. So the yeshiva was founded in 1896, and in 1897, just a year later, the organized opposition to the Musser movement begins, and there is a connection there because the Musser of Navardic and the Altar of Navardic was a, a, a personality who was uh, a force to be reckoned with, and he was a very much a radical, and, and he wanted his Musser and his yeshiva and the yeshivas that he was going to go found, and he wasn't satisfied with founding just one yeshiva, he wanted it to become an entire Navardic movement, um, was radical. Now, when, you mean, when I mean radical... Um, and that's the title also of of this episode. It doesn't mean uh, like it would be not 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 a twenty first century connotation, um, as in radical. Like uh, you know, they weren't violent. They weren't. Uh, they weren't. It wasn't um, not radical in a bad way. Radical in 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 the context uh, of the time. It was a he wanted a radical upheaval in Musser and in, in education and in Jewish life and in the context of the time of the revolutions that were rocking the Russian Empire. Um, in fact, there's a paradox about Navardic that of all the Lithuanian-style yeshivas that were developing in the last decades of the 19th century and the early decades of the 20th, Navardic was for sure the most extreme, the most anti-modern, um, the most um, radical <laughs> in many ways, and yet, in on, on, on the other hand, they were the they they the altar and his students utilized um, the what was going on on the Russian street, the the spirit of revolution, the uh, the radicalization of the youth, the mechanisms. The uh, he literally borrowed from from the 
revolutionary movements, uh, which was which was movements on the Russian street against the Tsar, Jewish and non-Jewish, and he used that that approach in his yeshiva uh, to develop Musser students, uh, to, to to develop uh, introspection and uh, Musser growth and ethical improvement and building people and building yeshivas. He 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 he, um, he incorporated that. That those tools in his own Musser philosophy, and that's what enabled the movement to grow. So there's a, a fascinating paradox within the Vardic Yeshiva movement itself. Um, and so he he um, he builds the Yeshiva, and he's the first decade of the Yeshiva in 1896, first more than a decade till 1908. Um, with the, the rabbi of the town of Navardic, longtime rabbi was Rabbi Chil Michal Halevi Epstein. The altar. I'm sorry. The um, the Arach Hashulchan, and he was the one of the most prominent Lithuanian rabbis of his day, and the most prominent Paiskim in the world at the time. And he had an affiliation with the yeshiva. In fact, to a certain extent, it's fascinating. I didn't even know this till recently. But Eitam Henken and his fantastic book on on the Arach Hashulchan has an entire chapter in the book describing the relationship that the Aruch HaShulchan has with the Navardic Yeshiva, which opened in the decade prior to his passing. And it seems he seems to you know, prove quite convincingly that the Yeshiva was kind of under the wing or the gaze or the responsibility, even to a certain extent, the fundraising and uh, of the rabbi of the town. In other words, the Aruch HaShulchan was directly involved in it. And uh, therefore, in the early years of the Yeshiva, it was not even known as this, um, you know, radical, uh, revolutionary Musr Yeshiva as it came to be so famous for later on because the Aruch HaShulchan served as a tempering um, you know, f- uh, figure uh, on, on top of the Yeshiva. He wasn't directly the Yeshiva. Obviously, the Altar of Navardic was the founder and the head of the Yeshiva, but it was nominally under the supervision of Rabbi Chil Michal Epstein, the Aruch HaShulchan, during those early years. In fact, some people would come join the Navardic Yeshiva in the early years in order to study Halacha and get Smicha, because he was, Aruch HaShulchan was the one who was the big giver of Smicha in the early years, and uh, they would come to study there to be able to pass the test, the Smicha test by the Aruch HaShulchan to, be, to get rabbinical ordination, and they didn't even really join the yeshiva because of the Musser style or the Musser approach in the early years. They joined because they wanted to be near the Aruch HaShulchan. So that's very interesting. That changed in the late last years of the Aruch HaShulchan's life, and for sure after his passing, and after his passing in 1908, then it became um, the, the famous Musser yeshiva um, in its full in its full glory, in its full um, uh, completely what the Altar of Navardic had in, envisioned um, as a as a new style of Musser. Um, you have to remember that Navardic comes on the scene later than the other Musser yeshivas. Uh, the Kelm had already been around since the 1860s, and of course Labatka was around since the 1880s, and here it only starts in 1896 and only de- fully develops in in uh, a decade later. Um, so Navardic uh, is is um, on one hand it has a like I said a radical Musser approach which I'll hopefully have time to elaborate on if not in this episode then in in a future one um, and but it also it, it, it the goal the Alter Navardic endeavors that it become a movement that he opens up further branches that he sends out his students 
to open branches all over the place. Uh, that it should he should it should be a movement to spread Musar and to spread Torah uh, throughout uh, Russia. Um, you know they're in Novartic for a relatively short period of time. They're there only from 1896 to 1915. They're there for less than 20 years. The whole uh, story of them being in the town of Novartic itself, because then they're exiled in World War One. Later on in the interwar period, there is a small branch of the yeshiva that's opened uh, in. Um, in the town of Novartic, so there was once again a Novartic yeshiva in Novartic, but that was a small branch that was not the central place of the movement, because at that point already the flagship yeshiva had become Bialystok in the interwar period. Um, so during World War One, it's exiled to Hummel, um, deeper into Russia, when Novartic is on the front lines, and then later uh, the altar and, and and many of his students moved to Kiev, um, where where his, he is until his passing. In fact. The Alton Vardik uh, passed away in Kiev because there was an epidemic. Again, this is the end of 1919, which is a terrible time anyways for the Jews of Russia and in Kiev and in Ukraine. This is after what they had sustained as refugees during World War I. This is after the Russian Revolution. This is during the civil war that was raging in, the, in Ukraine in the aftermath of the revolution between the Reds, the Whites, the Ukrainian nationalists, and the Jews are caught in the cross fire uh, the entire time. There's massacres of, 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 of Jewish communities in Ukraine at this time. And to top it all off, there's a an epidemic of some sorts, like typhus or something. And the altar uh, is taking care of his students. He said he's, he, has to, he has to be the father to his students because they came to join his yeshiva. They left their families. He has full responsibility for them. And uh, like a father, which is how he treated his students and the closeness that he had. So even though he was warned that the ones who had been infected by the disease, they need to be quarantined. That's the nature of epidemics. You need to go into quarantine. And he should not be in close proximity with them. He said that's not, that's, that's not how a father uh, interacts with his children. A father has to be there. And he's taking care of his students no matter what. And he, uh, and he gets infected by the disease and passes away. And uh, um, he literally gave his life for his students, and then he, um, and then he uh, is buried in Kiev. Eventually, when the communist government uh, is going to destroy the Kiev Jewish cemetery in the 1960s, so there's a whole operation to smuggle out the altar's body from Kiev and rebury it in Israel. And Gershon Liebman, one of his primary students. He was involved in it and other ones. There's a bunch of people involved and they bring it to Israel where he's reburied on Haram Anuchis in Yerushalayim, actually. So you have the altar of Nevardik buried right there in the center of Haram Anuchis. So um, the, the, um, the Nevardik uh, Musar approach was uh, very much uh, to emphasize a total and, and, and total total emuna to work on emuna to work on not needing any bitachin uh, work on a complete bitachin relying on God uh, to an, ex, an extreme to you know do uh, do uh, you know very all types of exercises to increase bitachin to increase the reliance total reliance on Hashem in any any type of scenario. There was also intensive musr work. It was what was known as a bursa, which was also borrowed from the revolutionary movements at the time, like a marketplace, like a like a like a stock exchange, where where during the, one of the musar seders during the day, they they would break up into pairs and they would each discuss with each other about how they could improve and, and what their faults are. 
there was focused study groups of Vadim where they had groups who were working towards certain goals and, and how long they would discuss how long they would stay in the yeshiva and how long they would be able to work on different goals and set musr um, 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 goals of how they would be able to improve themselves and and uh, you know it's engendered in, the interactive uh, among among the students uh, which was supervised by a senior student of each each vad had a senior student who would supervise it and set the goals for this this focused group this would uh, engender a lot of you know the social interaction and and uh, that cohesiveness they became almost like brothers in these yeshivas and then the young students were sent out to found um, further Navardic yeshivas, and, some, and that was part of the bitachin, you know, go out with nothing and uh, no funding and with all your own self-confidence. And then that was also part of the building up. Um, in, in, in many ways, Navardic was contrasted with the Slabatka approach of godless Adam, greatness of man. Um, but on the other hand, the, the uh, bitachin, the way they worked on their faith and and total reliance on God built up their self esteem, their self confidence that they can accomplish anything, that they can do anything. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, so to say that that uh, Navardic was the opposite of Godless Adam is a little bit misleading. Um, it actually built them up as personalities that they're the strongest personalities that they can handle anything that they can accomplish anything, um, and uh, and nothing can stand in their way. Nothing can ever bother them. Insults can never bother them. Uh, put no one can put them down. And they would come into town as twenty year old, you know, one or two, sometimes a pair of twenty year olds, and they would bang uh, bang on the bima in the local shul and say, "We're founding a yeshiva. Send your students, send your children to our yeshiva. We're founding a yeshiva." And they would somehow get funding for it. And uh, it became a whole operation. So there was this Musser uh, approach, which was then uh, became this kind of like a missionary movement to open yeshivas throughout Russia. Um, and he opened literally tens of yeshivas throughout Russia, both before World War One and even during World War One, when every the whole world was turned upside down for Russian Jewry. The alternative Arctic is opening yeshivas, opening branches all over. Um, Novartic as a movement was unique. It was completely unique in that the fact that no other yeshiva in Eastern Europe ever tried to create a movement and made it part of their mission to open yeshivas all over the place. No one else did that. And they tried to make it a cohesive movement. They had annual meetings once a year where they set goals, where the leaders of all the yeshivas would come together uh, to the central place, where it was in Hummel, and later in Kiev, and later in Bialystok, and they and they would meet and set goals. They even had publications, like kind of like a newspaper. It wasn't an official newspaper, obviously, but publication, which was a Torah publication, and also literally news about what was going on, how much they were building uh, new yeshivas, and what was going on in those new yeshivas, and uh, and Musser, pub- Musser works and, and Torah works, and this became an internal publication of the Novartic network, which lasted pretty much throughout the entire interwar period. Um, they had, uh, uh, the, the, eventually what they had to do was they had to cross the border into Poland because uh, once uh, the, the, um, the civil war died down and uh, didn't seem like religious life would be sustainable in Soviet Russia, so the decision was taken. By now, the movement is headed by the Alter Navardic. His son-in-law, the Alter Navardic had already passed away, so it was his son-in-law, Herbavram Yafin, who became the dynamic leader of the movement. Um, and he and, and other senior students of the Alter, they made this decision 
to make a bold border crossing into Poland, where they and their students together, you talk about students who who made the conscious decision to go with the yeshiva, to leave their family behind in Soviet Russia, to ensure their their Jewish future. An amazing act of uh, of dedication to a cause where they uh, where the families were willing to let them go, and they were willing to leave their families, young, young teenagers, 14, 15, 16-year-olds very often, and they went en masse. They risked their lives to cross the Soviet-Polish border, and they reestablished themselves in Poland. Um, so the flagship Navardic uh, uh, branch is now established in Bialystok in eastern Poland, which is a major city. It was a large city. And then they have four main branches of, of, the, um, of, the, uh, of the movement. One was in Mezrich, which is not Mezrich of the, the, the Hasidic uh, uh, lore, of the Magad of Mezrich. That's in Ukraine. That's a different place. There was Mezrich Podlaski, I think it's pronounced. Um, that's in Poland. And that was headed by one of the legendary students of the Alter Navarra group, David Bliacher, who was killed by the Nazis, but he was an amazing individual. Um, there was another main branch in Riga, which is in Latvia, not even in Poland. There was another one in Pinsk, um, where the, which was led by Shmuel Weintraub. And uh, there was a, there a Rebbe in that yeshiva, in fact, was the stipler, Rabbi Yisrael Kanievsky. And a student of that yeshiva in the later years before the war was Rabbi Yankala Galinsky, who later became one of the last uh, the last of the Mohicans, uh, in a, so to speak, in of the Navardic world. There was another major branch in Warsaw, in the capital, and many, many other cities. There were also yeshiva katanas, the smaller yeshivas for younger students, smaller branches, sometimes of just a few tens of students, uh, you know, very, very often. And there was literally tens of yeshivas. They peaked at about 40 different yeshivas. There was a, a branch, for instance, in Ostrov Mazowiecki, where, um, where for, you know, for, town, for younger students, for very often for the ones who were recruited to yeshivas like that were Hasidic students. You're talking about central Poland over here. And they recruited students from Hasidic homes uh, to come from, uh, you know, from Polish Hasidim, from, from you know, Ger and Alexander and all the other Hasidic, Hasidic dynasties of Poland. I remember reading about how they, 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 they scored it. They scored it. They were very proud when they were able to get, recruit a Breslov student to join Navardic, to get, you know, to get, I guess, from radical Hasidus to radical, uh, Musser. That was considered a great accomplishment. Um, but in fact, during the interwar, uh, time, they, there was a toning down a bit of the radicalism once the, uh, once the, uh, it was under Rebbe Ram Yafin and not under the, under the altar anymore. It was a bit more toned down. Many of the yeshivas took on, the role as a mainstream yeshiva. It was just recruited to become the Navardic yeshiva. I spoke to a couple of um, surviving students of Navardic yeshivas of interwar Poland who came from Hasidic homes and were recruited to go. One of the reasons that they went to, they agreed to go, is first of all, none of the other Lithuanian-style yeshivas did this uh, recruiting. So that was that was the option. That was no, no one else was asking them to come or inviting them to come. Another reason was is that these Hasidic students would feel comfortable there because Navardic was the only yeshiva that didn't make an issue about how well you dressed and all the Lithuanian-style yeshivas, which was influenced by places like Slabotka and Tels, it was very, they were very particular about everyone being clean-shaven and dressing nicely in suits and ties and it looked clean and neat. In Navardic, 
it was they were they were it was the exact opposite. You know, you, you, what you what you look like is is irrelevant, and that's not important. That's what you are on the inside, and and even more so, you can deliberately look. Um, you know, all disheveled on the outside, in order to not to not have not, not have pride, in order not to care, to train yourself not to, to not care what other people think. This trains you to be independent. This this trains you to be who who you really are, which is part of the approach of uh, of, of Navardika, to not be influenced by other other opinions, by outside opinions, and therefore, this was part of the whole avayda. And uh, no, one, no one cared about dress. You can have beards, and you can have scraggly beards, and long coats. So Hasidim uh, would fit right in. And they didn't have to alter their attire or, or, or shave their beards in order to join the yeshiva. So Navardic-style yeshivas was the perfect place for the Hasidic uh, students to feel comfortable. Um, uh, during the war years, uh, so in the beginning, the main yeshivas of the Navardic movement, they escaped to Vilna, like all the other yeshivas, and uh, later on, most of them are killed uh, in the camps. Uh, there's all kinds of stories of Navardic students inspiring others and keeping uh, giving strength to others. Gershon Liebman himself who was a survivor of the camps, and many other students of the altar as well. In fact, there's this fascinating work. Um, one of the int- more interesting students uh, who came from Navardic was the author, the Yiddish writer Chaim Grade, who who um, who. Uh, Later was renowned as Yiddish author, was part of the young, uh, the young Vilna, the young Yiddish writers in Vilna before the war, and then he was in France, uh, and then he moved to the United States. Uh, in fact, when he was still in Vilna, he was close with the Chazoin Ish. He studied with him, and the Chazoin Ish served as a character in one of his books. Um, and uh, so Chaim Grada, one of his shorter works that he wrote after the war, he has in Yiddish, it was recently translated into Hebrew. I'm not sure if it has ever been translated into English. It's very short. It's called Mein Krieg mit Hersh Rissiani. Um, and uh, in my, my fight, my dispute, my, my debate, however you want to translate it, with Hersh Rissiani. And the, the Hersh Rissiani in, in the book is clearly Reb Gershon Liebman, who he met in France, his former colleague in, in Navardic before the war, when Chaim Grada was still in Navardic. So he meets him in France after the war, and they have a debate about... Um, about uh, religion, about God, about faith, and about what the Holocaust means, and how about this? It's a fascinating document about, uh, in general, about faith after the Holocaust, and also about how to apply Musser and the Musser approach um, in light of the tragedy of what the Holocaust was. In fact, it's very interesting. I heard from the Mashkiach in the mirror, Baron Chadash. Um, he once told me we were discussing Slabatka and Avardik, and of course the Mashkiach came from Slabatka. His father, Meir Chadash, was a student of the altar of Slabatka, and and he took pride in that, and definitely always, you know. In, in the Slabatka Navardic rivalry, I guess if we can even call it that, he always uh, was all about Slabatka and how great Slabatka was and how, what it produced. But then he turned to me once and it was in the end of a long discussion. He said, "Aber in the lagerin, haben given starker." He said, "In the in the camps, the Navardic were stronger. They they kept their faith in there because that their training suited them well for the uh, horror." Of, uh, of of the Holocaust, so there are attempts after the war at rebuilding Navardic and is in Israel really it started before the war. In interwar period, there are Navardic branches that are established in Israel, and that serves as the basis of rebuilding after the war. Hill Vitkin, one of the great students of the Alter Navardic in Tel Aviv, he opens the first Navardic branch, and then Ramatzio Shtitzkal uh, tries to open one in Bnei Brak. 
later on Rabin Sin, Brook, and Yerushalayim. There are several others who were active in Israel as well. Even even the famous Talmud of the altar, David Bliacher, uh, came to Israel uh, for a period of time, was involved in establishing these early yeshivas in, in Tel Aviv and Menebrak. He went back uh, to Mezrich and he got killed by the Nazis. Most most of the Nevada Greshi yeshiva and the yeshiva students got killed during the war. Um, the truth is the students of the Alter Nevada can be its own episode. Some of them produced some, the movement produced some of the most driven individuals and each one was a, is a great story. So perhaps we'll get to that also. But the movement essentially was wiped out during the war. There was attempts at rebuilding the United States, Rav Ram Yafin and his son-in-law, Budelay Nekritz and others, also other ones in Barra Park and in other places. But um, it wasn't that successful. There are places uh, around the world, both the United States and Israel, that carried in the post-war period, that carried the the name Beis Yosef, which was the name of the movement after the Alt of Novartic, after his passing, or Novartic itself. Um, but it was in name only. It was in Novartic in name only. I guess we can make up an acronym for that as well. Um, and it did not really uh, contain or produce uh, what the pre-war movement had as far as, as far as the Musser philosophy, as far as the education and inculcating of the belief in that Musser system, and and for sure not in 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 in, uh, in spreading as a movement of branches all over the place. Um, the where one place where it was successful rebuilding, like I mentioned, was in France with Moroccan students, the Oriasif institutions of Gershon Liebman, which perhaps can be another episode. So this was a bit of an overview about Novartic and hope to get to some more in-depth of some of those uh, aspects uh, sometime soon. This is Yehuda Gabor with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGabor.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.